Well, all the ingredients are here, aren't they? A very much informed lower league team. Is this the chance? It is the chance, and it's the goal that they create. And scores it! David Bale puts his name up in lights and Wembley. Which has been in chaos off the pitch. Hello and welcome to another episode by Inside the Changing Room. Today we're joined by a man who started off his youth days at West Ham United. He then went on loan to, to Gillingham for his first Football League loan spell. He then made his way onto Cholton, Bradford, and then went into the into the non-league, going to Concord, Braintree, Dartford. Had spells at Chelmsford and Eastley. Went on to Braintree Ch- Town, where he uh, joined up with the Cowdery Brothers at Concord and Braintree. He then moved on to York City, where unfortunately was told by medical advice to give up full-time football. He joined Herne Bay to play part-time, but at the moment is is taking time out of football. We are joined today by Matt Fry. Matt, thank you for coming on, mate. No problem. Thanks for having me. No problem, mate. Uh, Jacob, as ever, uh, joined by yourself. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Cheers, mate. Um, yeah, Matt, let's go right back to the beginning then. Um, you were a product of, uh, of Gravesend and Northfleet, as they were at the time. Obviously, they're now Absolute United. Um, you come through their youth team. Yeah, what made you, what made you get into the, into the beautiful game? Um, I think the sort of story is going to be very similar to a lot of, a lot of young players. It was, it was yeah. just really all, all I ever wanted to do. Um, you know, kick a ball around from, from a very young age. And um, as I kind of got a bit older... Um, I just played for a for a local side at first, um, Cobham Colts, which is um, sort of a little village, um, sort of just just outside of Gravesend. So I played there for for a little bit and uh, had some scouts from from as you say then Gravesend and Allfleet come along and watch and um, ended up ended up joining there. And I think from then on it was just you know I don't think at that age you really think about necessarily how you're going to achieve or, or get to the next level. You just kind of play because you enjoy it. Um, and then sort of one thing led to another and um, yeah, the rest is history, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, age, age 11, quite young, it was, um, it was West Ham United um, that come calling. I mean, yeah. at that age, a, a massive football club. Um, was it was it just West Ham or was it other teams that were interested in it and West Ham would have picked up a bunch? Yeah, so I played for um, sort of played for the district and the county at, at about that age, and I think it was I mean it was earlier really sort of eight eights and nines. We had scout various scouts you know approaching my dad and asking what I was what my plans were etc. It wasn't sort of until not too long ago that you know my dad told me that that he kind of said that he he wanted me to continue playing you know, at Grayson and Northfleet for, for a little bit longer. Um, and then I probably got to about 11 where you move up to full-size full size pitches and we had sort of a, a few more few more scouts come along. Um, and it was about at that age that, that someone said, you know, you should really, you should really join somewhere. And um, it was actually Arsenal I went, to, I went to first. I got scouted from, I mean, there were sort of Millwall, uh, Charlton, Obviously, your West Ham's, Arsenal's, pretty much all the all the London teams, really. Um, and it was actually Arsenal that I decided to to go to first. Um, I went for a, like a summer long trial because it sort of coincided with not being at school. 
I spent six weeks there and <laughs> I eventually got told that I wasn't Arsenal material. You wasn't uh, Arsenal material? Yeah, that was... Those, those <laughs> words, Arsenal material? <laughs> yeah, well, those, those words stick into my head because obviously as a young... I mean, I might have been 10, 11 then. Um, and obviously, that's the first time you just sort of taste rejection. And I remember sitting down with the, the academy director um, and, and he said those exact words and they stick with me. Uh, stick with me now. But... Um, Wow, I had I don't know if you remember that the Oscar Slatters thing in your in your knees that a lot of kids got. Yeah, um, I had that quite severely because I was probably the height I am now at eleven, so I did my growing quite early. Um, so I sort of that quite severely. But um, anyway, it wasn't until that happened that a scout that was with Arsenal just went and joined West Ham, and and he said, "Did, did I want to did I want to come over there?" So I did, and I was there for two weeks, and then they signed me. So yeah, it was there were there were a few clubs, but it was pretty much between Arsenal and West Ham with the two two choices early doors. It's quite a compliment as well, isn't it? I mean, when you got Arsenal and West Ham coming for you, when you're a young kid like that, I mean, that must have meant the world to you as well, surely. Yeah, it did. I mean, as I say, you never really I mean, looking back now, you never really give it too much thought about, you know, Obviously, it's quite, it's nice, as you say, quite flattering that you've got these teams and, you know, you obviously watch the telly and you watch these teams play on telly. But as a young player, you kind of just want to play. And and I don't think it was until I was a little bit older that I started to realise that something could develop and I could make a career out of it. Um, but as I say, just sort of enjoying the, enjoying the game at that age, really. Mm. I mean, when you're at West Ham as well, you were given the captaincy when you're in the under-18s. Do you consider yourself a leader from quite an early age? I think so, yeah. But it, again, it wasn't, wasn't something I really addressed until I was a little bit older. Um, you know, I've always felt quite confident growing up and, you know, quite comfortable speaking to various people and stuff. Um, I was always quite a vocal player on the pitch. So I think that, that might have, you know, that might have been a part of it. But um, yeah, sort of growing up and playing and, and just enjoying it. But then, as you say, getting to... Certainly under 16s, I think, where you're, you know, that's kind of, I think, if I remember rightly, you start playing on Saturday mornings alongside the under 18s, whereas before you play Sunday mornings. So at that under 16s age, that was kind of the age where you start to think, you know, you you can sort of see people standing out and doing well. Mm. Um, But then, yeah, I mean, it was an absolute honour to, you know, sort of play in a youth team that, you know, Tony Carr was the academy director at the time and he brought through you know, the likes of Rio Ferdinand, Joe Cole, Michael Carrick, you know, all the all the big names before before us. So yeah, to get the armband obviously at the under eighteens was was quite an honour as well. I mean, you said you were quite a vocal player as well. Was there anybody that you like particularly trusted or looked up to to be able to like give yourself that freedom? Um it, it sort of in the teams I played or or, or players that I admired well, both players you admired and also people you worked with as you came through the academy. Um, I don't know really. I mean, I, I, I came through the youth team at West Ham just kind of after James Tompkins, who'd obviously, you know, he was a year or two older than me and he sort of broke into the team obviously at a later date then, but he was kind of the, um, I guess when I was in the 16s, he was the, the person that I looked at playing in the 18s because he was quite highly, obviously quite highly thought of. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure he must have been captain at you know at those levels as well. So I guess from the immediate team, you know, Tonks was someone that I looked up to. 
Um, but then obviously, you know, I'd watch I'd watch Premier League football all the time, and obviously it was it was Rio Ferdinand in sort of a few years before he came through at West Ham, and um, you know, sort of that, he was he was someone that I always looked at and looked up to. Yeah, you signed your first professional contract in June two thousand nine. Um, I mean, yeah, what was what was that day like, Matt? That when when you were told you were getting that first professional contract, was it kind of like, yeah, I've, I've kind of made it now, or was it right now? Now is not the time to kind of rest on my laurels there. Let the hard work begins. Yeah, I think very much that one. To be honest, I've um, I've always been a hard working, you know, I was always a hard working player and. I think off of the back of being, when I was 14 or 15, I did my ACL, um, ruptured my ACL in a tournament with West Ham. Um, and I spent a whole year out, which at that age is, is you know, massive yeah. in terms of the development of the training and coaching that you have. Um, so I think that, that was maybe the first time that I thought, because also the surgeon that I had, I think he said I was the youngest player at the time to have that, that type of injury. Yeah. Uh, and it was only sort of 10, 15 years earlier, maybe, that that might have ended careers. Um, so I'd obviously worked so hard to get back to a level where I was obviously playing and, and enjoying it again. And that kind of coincided with around about the time that we found out about pro contracts. So I'll be honest, there was an element of relief there. Um, not that I doubted my ability, I ever thought I wasn't good enough at that, at that age to, to earn one. Um, but clearly, you know, earning your pro contract at 17, 18 is no indication of where you're going to get to. Um, so, as you say, I always had the mindset that, you know, great, it's kind of like a milestone but over that. But, you know, the hard work starts now. And that's kind of really how I, how I approached everyday training and, and, and games. thing is, Matt, is that you had, so you obviously had that big injury there that you, you spoke about being out for a year you were then told by you were obviously told by previously by Arsenal that you weren't Arsenal material to say now there are two massive things that have happened to you very very early on now you see it plays now that certainly at academy level where they're let go very young they end up kind of falling away not and not never coming back how did you mentally kind of recover from that and make sure you know you know what I'm going to keep pushing myself and working hard at this because like, like I've just said they're two massive things to deal with at such an mm-hmm. early, early age weren't they yeah I mean the Arsenal thing I kind of you know I was, I was never an Arsenal player I just went for a trial clearly, yeah. clearly you know being rejected at such a young age is quite hard to take but yeah. pretty quickly got over that in the sense that once I signed for West Ham you know I was playing well at, at those various age groups <clears> and, and um, you know working hard um, so that to be honest, I kind of got over that one, I think. Um, with the ACL, you know, it came at a time when I was, it was sort of un- under s- under 15, 16 it was, and that's when England start looking at players to, to play in the under 16s. And, yeah. you know, that's when, you know, Nike and Adidas start looking at young players to give boot deals to and stuff like that. Um, and where I was playing quite well at the time, the... Um, the coach at West Ham, they are approached by you know, England scouts and stuff and ask for your two standout players. Um, and I was shortly told after that it was me and one of the other oh, no. in our age group who was, who was being looked at for, um, you know, for England and, and wow. for a night deal and stuff. Um, and it was, 20, it was 20 minutes into uh, the first game of, um, 
it's a big competition. I don't know whether they still do it now, but it's the night cup. Um, yeah. And it was 20 minutes into the first game of that. And I just, I went, I kind of touched the ball away. Someone slid in kind of from behind. And as I've tried riding the challenge, I've landed down at a funny angle and then just popped my knee and, and away you go. But that, that again took some getting over because naturally as a young player, you think, oh, well, you know, I might have played for England. I might. What if, yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. And I mean, Souls was, was one of the lads who, um, Chris Solly, who played for England at, at that age, at that age group as well, and it was one of my other pals who I was very close with at West Ham. Who, you know, he actually ended up going on to get the call up. So, yeah, like you say, mentally it's difficult. But yeah. once I'd had that big injury, I had such a great support unit, not just from my family, um, but you know, also I had the first team video, for example, came up to me out of nowhere because. So this was at a time where obviously I was still at school, but I'd go in and when school school was finished or half terms or whatever, um, and all the first team boys would, would would be in and training. Wow. So the first team physio came up to me and he, he kind of, I remember it, he's, John Green his name was at the time, uh, first team physio at the time at West Ham. And he said, you know, don't worry about it. He said, if, if you're good enough, you'll make it. And I've heard that you're good enough. And, you know, at such a young age, that was quite a nice thing to hear as well. Um, so yeah, it was that was quite a nice thing to hear, obviously, and kind of eased eased any concerns, eased some concerns that I had. But it really just sort of focused me to, you know, to work hard again and, and get yeah. back to, um, to to full fitness. So yes, it was difficult, but I kind of feel like I had you know a lot of people around me, and and as I say, the rehab and physio that you received from West Ham was you know first class. So they kind of did everything they could to, to get me back as soon as possible. But the hardest part was obviously being out for that whole year. You know, when you think it, at yeah. that age and, you know, there's an old saying in foot, you know, that a week's a long time in football. Um, but sort of 11, 12 months out on the sidelines was, was obviously very difficult. But um, yeah, I think I quickly got over it and, and sort of worked hard to, to, to achieve the next thing. I mean, when, you, when you're still at school, like you said, and you're, you've got these big injuries, did you ever have in the back of your mind uh, a career path outside of football that you would have followed? At that age, no, absolutely not. Um, no, no it's, it's, it's crazy because, you know, you're, you're taught as a young player, especially for, I can't speak for, you know, other clubs, but Premier League clubs, there's, they do try and create a big support unit to say, you know, you, are, you could potentially be a statistic or you could go on and make it. But, you know, the, the stats show that it's, it's highly unlikely that all of you in this room will even be playing. And they kind of say, you know, you need education, um, which, you know, as I sit here now doing the job that I do, I've, you know, massively, massively, you know, I'm behind that. And I feel that, that there, there, there does need to be more done within football to educate players. But no, at that age, you naturally just think, you know, no matter what anyone says, I'm going to be a professional footballer and no one's ever going to take that away from me. But I learned the hard way. That's not always the case. Yeah, I mean, shortly after signing your, your first professional contract with West Ham in June 2009, um, you went on loan to League One Club Gillingham um, yeah. in, in October. Um, yeah, how did the move come about and, and, and why Gillingham? Um, well, so I'm a Gravesend, I'm a Gravesend boy, so actually it wasn't planned, but it worked out very well. My two loans would be Charlton and then, uh, or Gillingham and then Charlton, sort of one, one at either side of Gravesend. But um, I had just been away for an end of season tour with West Ham um, in Hong Kong. Um, and there was some 
like sort of event, events competition as well. Um, and uh, Mark Robson, who was the assistant manager to Stimo at the time, um, he was out there playing with some 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 of the other guys. Um, so anyway, in the in the competition, we ended up getting quite far and did quite well, um, even though it was only a seven-a-side tournament. Um, you know, Mark, Mark had. I can't remember exactly how the first thing came out. I think, I think Mark might have spoken to our manager at West Ham who was out there. And, you know, I remember the manager saying, you know, doing are one of the teams that could be looking for you boys for next year. And, um, yeah. and, and there might have been a couple of others as well. But I think it was, I kind of got a phone call sort of at the start of the following, start of the following season saying that, you know, Gilling yeah. might, might be interested, might want to take you. Um, and obviously, you know, Mark Robson, who was out there, had seen you play and he was quite, quite impressed. Um, the move took a, took a long time actually to happen that, that, that you know, some, some people might not know about. Um, you know, as you say, I, I ended up signing there initially in October, which is obviously a few months into the season. Yeah, it is, yeah. But I think Gillingham was struggling. They, you know, they, obviously they got promoted the previous year. So, yeah, they did, yeah. Um, Thing that was always an option. I think League One's where I wanted to go. Basically, there were teams saying that you know you've got no experience, which is kind of fair enough. But getting frustrated at the time because as a young player, of course I've not got experience, and it's no. you know it's teams at, at this level and below. How were you going to get that experience you know, if you weren't then given the chance? Exactly that. Exactly yeah. that. And it was actually before the Leeds game. I think um, Jules played Leeds away at Ellen Road. Yeah. I think that was 4-1. Um, but Stimo had been on the phone and, and said, or to my agent, and said that, um, you know, they need to shore up their defence because they've not been doing too well. And, and Kingy, who obviously had a fantastic year the year before, had a bad injury as well. So yeah. it all seemed like it was working well in my favour. But then the chairman said that, you know, he didn't want to release money to someone who didn't have any experience. So my agent actually said, well, look, let's, let's, Jules have got no, um, Jules have got a, um, a reserve friendly next week. Why don't you let Matt play in that and see what you think? And obviously, as a young player, you know, I was I got a sniff that you know I might have been in there with a, with a League One team. So of course, I, I said, yeah, I'll more than happy to play in the friendly. Yeah. But anyway, I, I played in the friendly, played really well, and um, in the following week, you know, Stimo had, had agreed the deal, and, and and I was on my way there. Um, as I say, it worked out well. It was down the road. I mean, yeah, your debut come away at MK Dons. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong I think that was the day that Scott Vernon ended up lasting yeah. about 45 minutes for us not exactly, even that yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was it kind of yeah I mean your, your debut I remember Mark coming out after and and said in his interview that you were fantastic that day but it was kind of it, unfortunately it was a 2-0 loss for, for Gillingham was it kind of a yeah this is a welcome to League One football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was. And it was kind of bittersweet for me because, and as you say, I, you know, I've got a scrapbook at home and that, that, that um, article from Stimo is, <laughs> is firmly in place there because that was quite a proud moment for me. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, as you say, we lost 2-0, but when you look at the team that you play, and I think you can go back to that, to that year, 09-10 year in League One. And I mean, you had the likes of Millwall, Leeds, South, yeah. Norwich... Don, even you know, we're a big team. Goldton, obviously, and and then when you look at the players who played for those teams, you know they had some really really good players. And I think MK Dons at the time, Jermaine East, who ended up playing in the Prem, 
Um, yeah. Aaron Wilbraham, I think, who played in the Prem as well. Those two were the forwards that day. Yes, yeah, they were. Um, Jason Punchin was playing, played in the Prem. They had a really, really good side. Um, and I think for me, I think it was just under 12,000 as well. Um, I remember speaking to my agent the night before and, you know, I was kind of saying, this is quite a big, you know, it's quite a big deal because obviously when you're training as well, I had two days training before with Jules, but I was involved with the lead up and the press, you know, surrounding everything. And that, uh, that was all new to me. Um, yeah. And I remember speaking to my agent the day before and I just said, you know, what if I'm not ready? What if, what if this is one step too far and I go out and play tomorrow and I have a bad game and then I'm, you know, back in the reserves and that could be the end of my career if I, you know, you, wow. you, yeah, all these things going on in your head because you kind of feel like this is your chance, you have to take it. And I, I'd also kind of had a bit of a wobble in terms of fitness, just that I hadn't trained as much as I wanted to and I thought, you know, there's some good players playing tomorrow. Um, I mean, I turned up and the, the stadium MK is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember walking out before the fans get there and you have a look around and it was huge and then you've got your shirt hanging up and there's all these emotions going on um, before the game. But once I'd got out onto the pitch, it just kind of all disappears and you just focus on your focus on your game. And, and then it's your first touch and your first tackle and your first header that kind of set you up. Um, I remember making quite a good tackle on Jermaine Easter, actually, as he was kind of last man. And after that, I kind of settled into it. And, yeah. yeah. really I mean, enjoyed it. Yeah, we speak about Stimo, Mark Stimson. Um, yeah, what was, he, what was he like as a manager? Work under. I really like, I really like Stimo. Um, he says it how it is. Um, you know, no nonsense. Um, and I really like that. And I, I respect that about managers because, you know, a lot of managers can tell you what you want to hear, especially as a young player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Stimo... I think he had obviously brought brought Jules up last the previous year, so um, you know everything was kind of going well. I think he signed a lot a lot of players from non-league, maybe yeah. a year or something from his team. Yeah, um, and there were, there was kind of a group that were kind of no longer playing, and I could I could t- I could sense when I got in there that there was a little bit of you know I think when a manager's not playing, you clearly you're not happy. Um, I remember there being a bit of hostility with some players towards him because they weren't playing. Um, but, you know, my memories of Stimo is you wouldn't cross him because, you know, he's the manager and you just, you just wouldn't really want to get, wouldn't want to get stuck in with Stimo. But he was great for me. You know, I, I enjoyed it. And Yeah, I mean, any stand-up players from that year? Because obviously you mentioned about the opposition. Um, obviously Jermaine Easter and Wilbraham Jason Punchin you go like yeah. through that lead side that they had that I think yeah. I think that might have been the year they had Luciano Becchio and Jermaine Bedford yeah. up front it was yeah you look at Southampton they had I think Ricky Lambert was there it was yeah yeah I think I like Oxley Chamberlain was breaking through yeah um, it was I think Norwich Norwich had Grant Holt and a few others yeah it was a ridiculous like you said a ridiculous league one but you let's go back to that dual side where Obviously, Simeon, Simeon Jackson yeah. went on to play um, a, a good level. Yeah. Um, obviously, Andy Barcham went on uh, and had a had a real good career. Like obviously, yeah. Kingy had obviously had the injury. Barry Fuller, who, who obviously is now playing week in week out for for, for the Jules. Yeah. Um, yeah. What any standout players from from that Jules year that and and kind of any stories that you can tell tell from that that Gillingham side? That, yeah. Um, that <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Jacko was Jacko was a fantastic player. You know, yeah. he um, 
I think every every team that that plays at any level almost has to have a talisman and a, you know a goal scorer and and almost like the you know the focus of the team I think and for me in that Jill's side it was Jacko at that stage yeah. um, you know it's, the stat in the end that we went on not to win away all season would just absolutely baffled me because we played well in certain games and done well and and as you say there was a there was a group of players with you know experience but we also had a blend of youth as well yeah um who else did we have in that side i mean jack payne who was just coming through was a technically a very very Rooney. good yeah, luke rooney coming through you know another great footballer um yeah barch was barch was always a tricky one as well um as you say obviously went on to have a you know a really good career um yeah i don't know i mean there's <laughs> As you say, there was a, there was a, there was a good bunch. I was only end up playing thirteen games. There, like, like, like you say, Matt, is that it was a weird one, wasn't it, about the away form? Because yeah. at home we used to beat the big sides, yeah. but then just couldn't win away, and it was it well, we, was so strange. Yeah, it was odd. And I, you know, again, it wasn't until I sort of looked back and, and talked to players and people and stuff. But yeah, we ended up going like we ended up keeping six clean sheets, me and Josh Garlin, and and obviously. Barry Fuller and John Nutter yeah. as well. Um, you know, six six clean sheets. You know, and then, then you don't win away. away. Yeah. It just was it just absolutely baffled me. Um, yeah, there was. I mean, from the story front. I don't. I remember. Um, so I probably played three games at this point, and obviously I'd got. I had a really good relationship with Josh because we were kind of you know at the back together. Um, Dennis, Ollie, Simeon, Jackson. There was you know it's quite a good group. Um, Anyway, a couple of the lads said, oh, should we pop into Maidstone on, I think it was a bit of Tuesday night, to be fair. Um, obviously, we had Wednesday off, but there was a game on a Saturday. So it was almost a little bit like, we shouldn't do this, but let's just you know pop out and have a little wander around. Um, from memory, no one actually no one actually drank on the night. Um, but I remember, uh, heading out into Maidstone and we walked to, I think it was Beluga Bar at the time. Wow. Um in, yeah, in Maidstone, and uh, we kind of got out to Maidstone, walked in Beluga, and then one of the lads kind of like dashed, like kind of dashed out of the way to the side, and he said, "That's the chairman, it's the chairman." And um, there was a private party going on upstairs in Beluga that we didn't know about, um, and I think it was it might be someone's someone someone's birthday who who had played for, you know, had played football before, but it was a part, as I say, a party. We walked up, obviously, we wouldn't have been there. I mean, it's not the end of the world, but Tuesday night, we were off the next day, but yeah. the game Saturday, it's kind of like, didn't really want to be out kind of thing or see now. Uh, we've avoided that place, avoided the place like the plague, um, just in case. But yeah, not, not a massive story, but just from that point, you know, I kind of, that was my first taste of, you know, kind of, yes, I've been involved in football now and, it, you know, there is still a life, you know, outside of it, yeah. but you kind of got to be careful when you, <laughs> when you do go out. Um, your home debut was against Charlton. Um, obviously, it, we're going to move on to Charlton and how that move come about. But walking out of Priestfield for the first time, um, everyone kind of mentions how good that that Rainman could be. Um, yeah, what was it like walking out at, at the home at, at the home of the Jills at the time? Yeah, that was um, again very fond memories of that as well. And, you know, I th- I, if I remember rightly, the obviously the stadium was packed. Um, clearly, it's a local derby. Yeah. And I ended up. I bought some tickets. I didn't realise we got complimentary. So after, <laughs> after my um, 
after my debut at MK, I actually walked into the ticket office at Jill's um, and asked for five or six tickets for... They're not looking at you weirdly. <laughs> well, I kind of... I said... Uh, they did look kind of strange, but obviously I'd only played one game, so they kind of looked at me... You know, it was really quiet. There was only me and this the guy selling the tickets in there. And I said, oh, can I have five tickets, please? And I said, um, do we get any tickets for, like, you know... And they kind of looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm a player. Do we get any, any tickets? And they were like... And then when I said who I was, they were like, oh, my God, yeah, you should get tickets. Well, looked at you and gone, you look like Matt Fry, but do I talk... Do I say this? <laughs> exactly, yeah. But it was... I mean, that was, that was quite funny, but I ended up buying five or six tickets for friends and... <laughs> Misses and, and family and stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, as you say, walking out to the packed stadium and, you know, we kind of walked out into the centre circle, um, you know, you do your handshakes and stuff. And then we started at, obviously at the rain and So I kind of ran off to do my stuff over there and, you know, photographer wanted to get a photo for Kent online and stuff. And I just remember it. You know, I remember the, the noise and it's funny what you remember actually when you retire, you know, the sort of emotions yeah. and smells and, all stuff like that. But, you know, playing against Charlton as well, obviously massive club. And for me, as growing up, they were always a Premier League team. Um, so, you know, it was a it was obviously a massive game for me. And I think I, I ended up playing quite well again and we drew one all. And I think you'll, you'll remember it, Johnny Nutter scored one of the craziest own goals I've, I've <laughs> no, seen in a long time. No, for anyone uh, that's watching this, it's the best own goal I've probably ever seen live. And yeah, it was one of those moments, wasn't it, Matt, that you either laugh or you cry? 100%. But <laughs> as, as a player, I remember thinking, because when you play against teams like, you know, Charlton or teams, I think they were second at the time, and you play against these top teams, you know, you have to really be, you know, resilient. And basically, if you don't concede, you've got a chance of winning. Yeah. And they've had chance after chance after chance, but we're defending well. And then you concede a goal like that, you think, it's not going to be our day. No. Nah. Um, no. But Simeon, Simeon came up with the came up with the goods and, and ended up rescuing a point in the end, which was. Uh, I mean, Jacob, if you when you get a chance, please do go and watch that own goal back. In fact, I'm probably going to actually insert it. You're going to have to put it on it. Yeah. Sorry to yeah, sorry to sorry to nuts if he if he does end up watching it, but you <laughs> we'll know, take a laughed. minute. We'll make sure yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I remember he laughed. He laughed at it afterwards, and he just said, "Jacko dug him out of a hole." But uh, yeah. Yeah, well, he did. Um, yeah. Another funny story. We, we spoke about it before we come live on here. Gil um, fans watching this will remember the Leighton Orient saga, um, where well, we ended up playing in Leighton Orient's kit. Um, and I think in one at one stage there was two goalkeepers in the starting lineup. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were you one of the players on time, Matt? Is the question. No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> um, I remember. I mean, you remember, as you say, you went there. That, I mean. <laughs> I've not seen traffic like that in a very long time. Yeah. Um, I remember, so I was actually in a car with Josh Gowling, Barry Fuller, and I want to say Fabian Brandy. Wow, yeah. Yeah, with some, someone, I can't remember yeah. someone else, but basically I remember, um, you know, there was all this stuff in the press and I remember we were, we were reading what Stimo was saying to the press, you know, on our phone when we were still not even through the, the Blackwall Tunnel yet. Um, and basically Stimo was saying you know I've got there's four of my starting 11 in one car <laughs> and that was obviously us wow um, and yeah I mean I genuinely thought the game can't go ahead there's no way it can go ahead because we're all stuck in traffic there's no, no one's yeah. going to get it um, yeah. 
anyway, Stimo rung us and just said, I can't remember if, I mean, Barry was driving, so I'm sure he can't have done, but Stimo said to me and Josh, obviously the two centre-halves, he said, you two are going to have to get out and get a train or a tube and you've got to get here somehow. Run. <laughs> me, and, um, yeah, me and Josh jumped, jumped out of the car um, and we got on the local tube. Can't remember what, what it was. We were through the tunnel by this point, so we just jumped on a tube um, to Stratford. Um, wow. And I remember being on the train with the Jules, Jules fans and stuff and we had you know, tracksuits on, bags around our shoulders you know, oh, like hang on. Photos <laughs> and shaking. But you missed me at a grand an hour ago. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. And it was kind of like, I mean, me and Josh ran to the stadium, you know, ran in, got changed. It was the most rushed start to a game I've obviously ever experienced. And, and as I mentioned before, we were on the court. It's kind of like my first taste of, of professional football. And, you know, that was just not not kind of what I was expecting we ended up like you say wearing the late and orient away kit yeah because you walked in you were late and you're going hang on we're wearing yeah. the, the own to kit, team kit well, the kit, well. the kit man was obviously in the same traffic so yeah. yeah he didn't have the kit so we had to wear their away kit which was surreal yeah and then obviously Curtis Curtis Weston puts one up and you're thinking well yeah. this was worth it <laughs> yeah I do remember thinking though because after that I think did we lose 3-1 we lost 3-1 yeah lost 3-1 in the end yeah I remember thinking after that game, I thought, I, I do feel like I've been beaten up here. Like, you know, the, the preparation, everything yeah. felt terrible. Did the ref yeah. do anything to accommodate that, like, before the game? Did he delay kickoff or anything? I, th- no. I think there was discussions of him delaying, but I don't actually didn't. remember they did. Didn't, uh, didn't in the end. And he actually uh, come out in the press after and, and, uh, and then said that it was Gillingham's fault for not being there on time. Uh, and yeah. that... Yeah, it was Andy Durst I would refereed. Um, yeah, and and he come out and I had the comments somewhere. I was reading up earlier, and he basically said it was Gillingham's fault, and basically that by the time the kickoff had come around, that we'd had the majority of our starting eleven there. Oh, that's right. We yeah, to, we had to deal with it, and he weren't going to delay it. <laughs> oh, it was, that was crazy. Had that been a Premiership team, I think the rules might have been different. Oh, I think, yeah, they might have been there. I mean, you can't see Arsenal wearing Man United's away kit, can you? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Exeter away. Um, yeah, let's let, let's speak about it. Obviously, it was kind of all rosy up to that point in your Gillingham career. You'd come in, you'd come in flying. Like you said, six clean sheets. You were doing very, very well. Jill's fans were kind of thinking, yeah, Matt, Matty Fry is, is the answer to our defensive problems here. Exeter away comes along. Um, Stewie Lewis scores one of the best goals yeah, that season. Great goal, actually. I think uh, that was, that his, was that his first goal as well? It was, it was, yeah. It was top, top corner. Yeah. Um, 82nd minute, 80th minute, kind of round 80th minute comes around. Um, yeah, your first kind of real bad knee injury in terms of professional, the professional game. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. How does it happen? And, and what are the thoughts running through your head when it happens, Matt? Um, I mean, I remember that being a really tough game as well. Um, yeah. Wet and windy. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't actually until. Yeah, I mean, that was always a tough place to go as well. Not just yeah. a t- tough side, but it was a tough place to go. Um, it wasn't until after I, I kind of looked back and I remember. I remember an incident in training that I got. I sort of went for a block and my knee kind of hyperextended. Um, but I kind of brushed it off and carried on training and it was fine. But I wonder whether that had maybe done something because when I actually did it in the game, it was so innocuous that I just thought, you know, 
I must be fine. Nothing could have gone wrong, surely. No. Um, but yeah, in the game, you say sort of 80, 82 minutes, something like that. Um, long balls come in and I've kind of just side foot hooked it away. So you kind of open up, it was my right leg. So I, I side foot kicked, sort of cleared it and it just opened up the outside of my knee. And then I just felt sharp, almost like a stabbing pain. Um, and I thought something, something's not right here. Um, so anyway, I came off, saw, saw out the rest of the game on the bench and ended up walking off. And I remember reading some stuff afterwards that Bill's fans were saying, you know, it can't be that bad. You know, he walked off, he walked off the pitch. Um, but it was, a, it was a meniscus tear. And obviously you can walk on, you know, it's not like you've, you've broken your leg or anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, I, was, I was devastated because I kind of thought, what a run I'm having here. And I was, I was really, really enjoying my football at Jules. And the fans took to me really well. As you say, my, you know, my loan was getting extended month after month and yeah. ended up playing 13, 13 games I ended up playing there, including the FA Cup. Um, really enjoyed yeah. I just, I just thought to myself, you know, I hope, I hope this isn't a, a long one, and I can, you know, get back because we were also kind of hovering around the relegation spot, but we were, every game was a fight, and it meant a lot. And that, that was, that was massive for me to go into a team that was, kind of struggling was, was huge, and I learned a great deal about myself, um, you know, playing there. But the hardest part was thinking, I might not be in, you know, I might not be there for the running, you know, sort of towards the end of the season. Um, as it transpired, I had an operation two days later on New Year's Eve. Um, so I was sort of stuck in a hospital on New Year's Eve. Um, Lovely. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, and then I just remember getting you know, really nice messages from the boys and the gaffer. Um, you know, I hope you you know come back soon, get yourself sorted and, you know, we can have you back when you're done. Yeah. Um, obviously, it never never happened in the end. No. Um, and I think, did they go down that season or was it the following? Did, yeah, at Wickham. Yeah. Unfortunately, so I mean, I, yeah, I was obviously devastated because I felt yeah. like I played a played a part in that season, and, and it was obviously yeah, devastating that they went down. I mean, you mentioned your support network at West Ham as well. What was it like at Ginningham? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, when you're on loan at a club, it's kind of like I feel I was fortunate enough that every loan spell I had felt like felt like home. Whereas a lot of people in the press and stuff say. I don't agree with loan players because they're not your player. They can just, you know, they can just go back to their parent club when they're done, and they don't really care about the games and stuff. But on the contrary, I really feel like, as I say, every loan spell I had was felt like home, and I felt like I was part of the team, and it was my team. Um, but with an injury like that, obviously, you know, I think resources are more stretched the lower down you go, and. You know, clearly they were they were in a fight, and I wouldn't have been priority if I was going to be out for a couple of months anyway. Um, I would go back to your parent club, but as you, you know, as I said, receiving the messages on New Year's Eve from from all, all the guys, you know, the, the gaffer and a few of the players was that meant a lot to me. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, I did go back to West Ham for treatment, but yeah, it was a great group there at Jules that year anyway. Yeah, because Matt, it's got to hear that you you went and then signed for for Charlton in, in the March of 2010. Yeah. Um, you didn't obviously end up playing, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't play for them, did you? Down no, to that's the, correct. Down to that yeah. knee. Uh, yeah. Was it down to the fact that you were having problems with that knee that you, you couldn't end up playing? Yeah. So there were a number of a number of things, really. Basically, 
I played a reserve game against Spurs for West Ham when I was just coming back from the injury. Yeah. Um, and this was at a time I was training, I was training day in, day out with the first team at West Ham. Um, this was, so Zola was the manager at the time. Um, and he, I, I feel like he quite liked me like when I was training because I was always, you know, hard working, stuck my foot in, stuck my head in. And Zola, Zola quite liked that. And he kind of, I felt like I made an impression, if that makes sense. Um, so I was really excited, obviously, about having gone out, played League One, and then back at West Ham. You know, will I get an opportunity? Um, anyway, I got a phone call. I remember getting into my car one day. It was parked. Um, and for me, I mean, as I said, I, I got a phone call. This was Charlton Athletic, who, for me, growing up, was a Premier League football team. So it was it was massive for me. And I naturally thought that, as a progression, you know, Jules was a great base. I learned a lot. You know, did well, great club, yeah. local club. But then I felt that Chalk were challenging. Obviously, just come down from the champ, and they were challenging for the for the League did, One title. So, did Jules never at that point come back in for you? Yeah, they did. So, yeah, I think Stimo spoke to me again as I was coming back to fitness and said, you know, do you want to come back, kind of thing. But I think they'd also made plans as well because clearly that was now two months after I'd had the injury. Yeah. So they. Someone else. I can't remember who they brought in. Um, someone else at centre half, maybe. So it was also when I when I got the call from Charlton. You know, no disrespect to to Jules, but um, no brainer. Yeah, that changed everything for me. And you know, I really felt like you know I could do well and you know have a career. But it was also made very difficult because the assistant manager at West Ham said we don't want we don't think you should go. We don't want you to go on loan because wow. we've got a run in now. You know, this was sort of when we were in the in the prem, and they said we've got a run in now. And we've had a few injuries, and you know, we think you should stay. You'll be training with the first team, and you might get a chance by the end of the season. Um, I look back now. One of the other lads, one of the other young lads, made his debut against Man City. Um, I think in the last game of the season, but I I decided to go out on loan to to Charlton. But there was a number of reasons. I think the loan deadline was closing. Yeah. So Parky wanted you know, a, a squad and backup, except just in case that, you know, they had injuries or whatever, because they were going for, obviously for the title. Um, and then secondly, I think there was a number of loan players. You could only have a certain amount of loan players in the team um, uh, or in the squad, match day squad at any point. Um, so there was also, obviously the knee kept recurring and, and basically the, the spiel was Parky said, you know, we saw, you know, you made your home debut against us. We had a great game. We've kept tabs on you since then. Um, you know, we'd love to have you in um, and help us out. Um, and he said, we know you've just come back from your injury and you're still having a few issues, but we'd rather sign you now <coughs> than miss out because the loan window shuts. So I ended up doing that. Um, as I say, a local team, so it wasn't far to travel. Um, but yeah, sort of kept having niggles with that knee and it lasted throughout the whole, the whole season, really. And it wasn't until the we played um, Swindon Town in the playoff semis um, it wasn't until the second leg home leg of that that Parky said you've you know you've trained absolutely brilliant your attitude's been great um, he basically said whether we go up or stay in league one we want you back next season uh, and he said you know I, I kind of earned myself a place on the bench for that semi-final second leg so that was the first taste that I had of of, um, of, of being with Cholton I didn't make an appearance but you know, being involved in a game of that magnitude in the last day of the season was, was huge for me as well. 
mean, at the time when you had to make the choice between staying on at West Ham potentially potentially making your debut or moving online, did you ever sort of look back and think maybe what if, what if I'd have stayed at West Ham? I do. I do, yeah. But then I also am so grateful for, you know, my, my, my career, in my opinion, was short-lived. But I had so many great experiences that, that will live with me forever. And playing for Cholton is a massive part of... Of, of of those memories and that experience, um, you know. And again, with the Jules fan, I had a you know a great rapport with the Charlton fans, and a lot of my mates were Charlton fans. And you know, it. I mean, the, the, the club, you know, has a special place in my heart. Um, I was there for a whole year, so I was kind of yeah. You know, I had some really great memories, but yeah, there are obviously sometimes I look back and I think you know maybe if I didn't if I didn't go, you know. I've got a bench or might I have had two minutes at the end of one of the games in the Prem you, you never really know um, I don't feel like Prem was my level um, Champ was probably probably my level um, but you know I could have made a couple of appearances and you know who knows um, So would you say that the like the familiarity of Charlton was the biggest thing in drawing you away from West Ham at the time? I think so yeah I think um as you say, I kind of, when I got the phone call, it was, you know, this Phil Parkinson, the Chol- Cholton manager. I don't know, I just, it's just a feeling. I was like, this is Cholton, this is a Premier League team. And I kind of viewed them similar to West Ham, even though they were two leagues apart at the time. Mm. Um, and, and obviously being a local club, you know, I, I knew a lot about them and stuff like that. And I, I do, I, yeah, I must think it was the, being familiar with them and they were in the Premier League, not, you know, maybe two, three seasons earlier. So I think that played a big part in my decision. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, you returned in in, in the August. Um, you then didn't obviously make um, you, your first appearance until l- later on. Um, so you joined on the 5th. You made your first appearance at the end uh, away at Huddersfield. Yeah. Um, you actually scored in your debut. Um, yeah, I, did, I, yeah. bet, I bet that was a nice feeling, wasn't it? Even though obviously it was a, it was a loss, unfortunately, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for Cholton. Um yeah, you went, you went and scored. That must have been a real, a real proud moment for yourself. Yeah, I think it was a long time coming because obviously I'd been involved, <clears throat> you know, and I travelled with the match day squad every week in the previous run into the playoff semi final. Yeah. So I was involved in it all, and I was itching to get on the pitch, itching to play. You know, I'd, I'd turn up and I'd just out on the squad because of either injury or you know, there's too many um, loan players. Um, and obviously, off the back of not much football the previous year, it would have been difficult to have thrown me in. But um, yeah, I was I was itching to make my debut for Charlton, um, and I was on the bench on the bench that day. Um, we were three 0 down. I think I came on in the 90th minute. I think it was just such a token thing. But you know, I, di- I didn't. You know, why would he? Why would the gaffer also bring on a, a defender in the last two minutes of the game? I had no idea. But maybe Parky felt that I'd worked hard and. You know, obviously, I needed to needed to play at some point, so you know, why not chuck me on? But yeah, I just remember thinking, with three 0 down, I think my first I picked up the ball on the halfway line, just decided to go on a bit of a mazy run, um, sort of ended up running across the pitch at the eighteen yard box, cut back, hit one, it took a slight deflection and went in. But I remember celebrating like I'd won the game, which was which looking back now seems silly, but um, I've still got you know a great picture of me framed. And, you know, we're celebrating that goal. So yeah, it's a it's a proud proud moment, and yeah, my, my first senior league goal at that point. Yeah, obviously we had Chris Solly on this podcast um, last week. Um, he spoke about how special the valley can can be. Um, obviously, you, 
you played there. Um, and, and when the Valley does get going, it, it can really get going. Um, yeah, how special was it to, to wear a Charlton shirt at the Valley and, and represent, represent Charlton? For, I mean, for me, as I say, I still go and watch Charlton now. I went to the, the, I went to the playoff final at Wembley last year. Um, it really does as a club, as a, as a special place in my heart. Um, and, you know, people say, well, you were only there for a year. But, and it was during quite difficult times for the club as well yeah. So yeah. people could say there's no real reason for me to, to have fond memories but I guess because my career was cut shorter that makes those memories even more special um, and as you say you know I played week in week out I made 32 appearances that year yeah, uh, and, and I think 28 of them were starts so I you know really sort of I felt like I'd earned my place um, but yeah as you say the, the valley when it gets going you know wearing a, wearing a Charlton shirt was 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 very proud and as I say some experiences you know I played away at White Hart Lane in the FA Cup yeah there's a great picture of you and Luca Modric yeah I tend to share that one quite regularly on um, on social media nowadays yeah um, I get a bit of stick for that but um, yeah it's it's I mean that was a fantastic experience probably the best experience yeah. that I've had um, and you know there were you know other away games Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough was I think one of the best atmospheres I've played in. It was absolutely electric. Um, so, yeah, you know, as I say, playing for Charlton was a proud moment and it's still a club that, that I follow very closely now. Um, you know, Souls, Souls was there, came through the youth team there. And obviously when I was at West Ham, we used to play against, you know, Souls and John Joe and, you know, that kind of age group. So they always, for me, Charlton remained a Premier League team, um, you know, in the way we viewed stuff. But... Um, yeah, some very, very special memories. You spoke about him earlier, um, the manager that you played under at, at Charlton for Parkinson. Um, unfortunately, in terms of success, in terms of promotions, he, did, he didn't achieve it at Charlton. But what was he like to play under? Again, Parky for me was, you know, when I, when I look at my career, you know, obviously Stimo was the first, first person I had in there. And then Parky was obviously someone also I'd, you know, very much respected and looked up to. Yeah. Um, me and Parky got on really, really well. And I guess, you know, that goes to show in the, in the sense that he signed me twice at Charlton and then took me up to Bradford as well. And, you know, as I say, quite a difficult time at Charlton for the, for the time, but he was, he, he always spoke to me and he always made an effort. And I guess when you're playing week in, week out and you're playing, you know, you, you kind of think, well, you're not surprised. And, if you spoke to one of the lads who wasn't playing, maybe would he have the same opinion? I don't know. But for me, he was, um, yeah, he was, he was brilliant. Great guy. And um, I, I really much enjoyed, you know, enjoyed enjoy playing with him. I mean, of course, um, <clears throat> you left Charlton and you went back to West Ham. <clears throat> and in, in February 2012, you had your contract cancelled by mutual consent. What, what, yeah. was, going, what was it like at the time? And what was going through your head like, emotionally? Well, so look, what a lot of people don't know is I had quite a severe injury in my time at Charlton, but it was an injury that didn't stop me from playing. It was an injury that I could play with. Um, and I think when you speak to, if you spoke to a lot of Charlton fans who, who was a season ticket holder that year, they'd probably say that I started very well. And then just after Christmas, I sort of fell off, a, almost my performances started to fall off a cliff. And I had quite a severe case of something that's called compartment syndrome in in both of my calves, wow. um, which the only way I could describe it is like someone filling, taking your kneecap off, filling your, 
legs up with concrete and then the concrete sets while you're playing. Um, and wow. you know, this so your legs, a, basically your legs felt heavy all the, all of the time. Yeah. I had no, no power. I couldn't push off. And when you're playing left back and you've got some of the best wingers in the league running up against you, you know, you, you can get exposed and, and it kind of coincided with, as I say, the time that Chris Powell came in and Parky left. And I think from then on, like they, they re-signed me for another month or two. But as I say, my, my performance has just dropped off a cliff and you kind of talk about the great memories in football and sadly I experienced some of the really, really dark times as well. And, you know, mental health is a big part of football now as, as it should be. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, as I say, that second half of the Chalk season, although I was trying very much to enjoy it, I was, my mental state was really, really tough because having had, you know, ACL, then another knee injury, I kind of thought, maybe what I'm feeling is the same as what everyone else is feeling. And, you know, to go and investigate what the injury was meant potentially upsetting people and not playing. <clears throat> so I kind of convinced myself it was normal. Um, anyway, cut a long story short, very long story short. Um, I ended up going back to West Ham because I guess my performance had slipped off and because I wasn't viewed as injured because I was still playing. They must have just thought that you know, it was because I wasn't playing very well, but there was an underlying issue. Um, and I turned out to have a very, very severe case and I had um, both calves operated on the following summer. Is, is, was it West Ham who, who found out the problem then? Um, I pushed for it and West Ham weren't too happy because I basically, just before joining Charlton, I just signed a new two-year contract after I'd been... Uh, a deal so I'd signed a new two year deal at West Ham um, so when I'd left and gone back there I still had a year on my contract um, but by this point I'd spoken to I'd done pre-season and I'd spoken to Sam Allardyce who was the manager at this point um, and I'd obviously said you know am I in your plans because we'd just come down from the Prem yeah. um, so I was thinking maybe I could get a chance um, and he said you know you've gone out on loan and you've done well but I'm bringing in the likes of Kevin Nolan uh, Ben Haim Abdullah Faye, you know, all players who played in the Prem because he wanted to bounce straight back up. You know, Matty Taylor was another very experienced player. Um, and I said, you know, that's fair enough. But at that point, I then thought, well, I've got a year left on my contract. So I'm going to find out what's, what's wrong here. Yeah. Um, so I pushed, I pushed for it. You know, there were a lot of things that went on um, that I won't go into loads of detail about. But, you know, as I say, a young player that wasn't in their plans didn't really want to be forking out on medical bills at that stage probably not but for me it was it was all about me um, and yeah as I said I ended up finding out that I had quite a very severe case of it mm. and you said as well um, like the toll it took on you mentally was there anybody that you were particularly close to that helped you like through that within football not really um, I mean apart from my family yes um, but you almost have to be very careful because I don't know again this was the this was a very dark dark stage for me because any footballer will tell you playing football in front of big crowds is brilliant and it's the best thing in the world yeah. but equally the worst part of being a footballer is those lonely days in the gym and the lonely days on the pitch running and lonely days sitting there with ice on your leg and stuff um, and sadly I experienced quite a lot of that um, and there's no one really I didn't feel like there was anyone I could speak to at the club um, Wow because clearly you know, it was at a time where obviously they decided that I wasn't in their plans. Um, and you kind of almost, people always say, it, you have to go in and you sit in the change room and, you know, you put on like a macho bravado. A brave face. Yeah. Yeah, a brave face, basically. And um, 
yeah, that, it was it was it was tough. But as I say, I pushed for it, and I ended up finding out what was wrong. And in the end, it was as you say, kind of it was January February time, and I was rushed back really, um, and I was offered a compromise agreement that I needed to sign by deadline day in January. Otherwise, I'd have had to have stayed, you know, stayed there. And anyway, another long story short, I, I ended up signing it, and um, and then. I wasn't fully fit, but Parkey had called me and wanted to take me up to Bradford, who was struggling in League Two. Um, and yeah, I guess that goes on to that goes on to another story. Yeah, like you like you just said, obviously Parkey took you up to Bradford. That was the first club that wasn't sort of down south. It was obviously further away from your family and everything. What was that like trying to adjust to that sort of setting? Yeah, so my sister lived in Sheffield actually, so which isn't a million miles away from from Bradford, so. I'd often been up, been up north to, to to Sheffield. So when I played up there, I'd often stay there the weekend and stuff like that. And I'd always wanted to experience playing away, you know, sort of playing up north or somewhere out of your comfort zone and away from home. And I'll be honest, I've, you know, I just Parky phoned me and just said, "Look, this is a sleeping giant here. You know, you've only got to come and look at the stadium and and, and everything else, and you see what a massive club it is." And he was right. I went up there and and had a look around the stadium and and had had a chat with him. Um, I think because of the injury, I only signed till the end of the season. Um, and financially, obviously, I just received a pay-up from West Ham, but I think Bradford kind of used that to say, well, we'll just top up your earnings with a with a lower, lower salary kind of thing. And obviously, I, I wasn't too concerned. I just signed and did it. But um, I ended up sort of a, a week later, I had another sort of niggle in my groin. Um, and that, I mean, that, that ended up causing some, some serious issues. But... As it transpires, that was why I didn't end up staying after after the end of the season. I mean, yeah, Matt, you you talk about um, kind of your injury problems between um, obviously West Ham, finding out Charlton, um, and then and then Bradford as well, and then you go back to kind of like them being the darkest days in your career and things like that. You look at their mental health now is a massive, is a big big thing in football. They the PFA obviously talk about it an awful lot. Yeah. Um, and you see big name players talk about it and things like that. Um, do you fi- did you find it at the time a, a massive shame that you wasn't given given the support that you quite rightly did deserve? Um, and and do you think that if you were guided in the right way, that maybe at some point during that spell that maybe you could have stepped away? look to what really was happening with that with those problems and then step back in do you think do you think if you were guided the right way you could have prolonged maybe that 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 football league that football league spell yeah. For you? yeah maybe and i think i you know and it's hard because it's not it's not a feeling of being sad it's not a feeling of being happy yeah it goes a lot deeper than that and as i say you know sort of when 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 i had all those Problems. I kind of feel when I look back now, my transition from where I am today, doing what I'm doing, and that you know young player with no fear making his debut for Gillingham. I've come a. There's been such. I mean, there's been loads that's happened in between. Obviously, yeah. when I look back, I feel like my transition wasn't just the you've broken your leg, you can never play again. No, it was a, it was a prolonged, sustained journey. That if I'm being honest, I, I haven't long got over and. There's still, as I say, there's not a day goes by that I don't think about playing. And, you know, sometimes my training to London goes past the valley, 
which is quite, it's quite depressing. Um, but, you know, after that thought of, oh, what if, maybe I could have still been playing or where would I have got to, you kind of then think, well, I was proud to have done what I did and, yeah. you know, a lot of players would have loved to have done it or a lot of, you know, people would have loved to have achieved it. Um, and, yeah, maybe, again, it's kind of like if the support was there, would I have spoken to them, though? Would I have, would I have approached someone? Because, yeah. I don't know, it's, it's almost like you feel like, I don't know, it's... You're in a bit of a bubble, aren't you? Yeah. yeah, it's quite hard to explain, but it's kind of like, you know, what, what was going on to me? Was it normal? Yeah. You know, but like, maybe if I spoke to someone, they said, you know, that, that's not normal. You shouldn't be feeling like this, or you know, or whatnot. Maybe, maybe you know, something else could have happened. But I think the big change was, I mean, Bradford actually ended up offering me another twelve-month contract at the end of that summer. Um, but the terms, I mean, while I, obviously I was earning very good money at Charlton. And I had I I lived to my means at that, at that stage. You know, I was I had a car. Um, I was paying for my sister's car at the time. Um, you know, you ha- you have financial commitments, and the money I was offered didn't cover didn't even cover my expenses. Um, wow. And I, I, you know, it wasn't that I said it wasn't a sticky two fingers up. You know, I, I kind of said said to Park at the time. I remember it. I said I, I desperately want to sign. I want to play. Um, yeah, but you got to be able to live. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, I had this groin injury which niggled me till the end of the season. That's why I only ended up playing six games for Bradford because of that, that you know, another injury. Um, and I ended up not until the following February. So even if I had signed, I would have been, you know, lonely days in the gym, miles away from home. You know, when I look back, I don't, maybe I don't regret that decision, but I do feel like if I could have got fit and played, maybe I would have gone on to play for you know, in the Football League. But, as I say, that, that's the way it goes. Um, I did step into non-league football and I had some, again, some very good good memories there. But, yeah, I do feel like my league career was actual. Yeah, you did step into non-league. Um, you went and joined Conquer Rangers under, um, everyone knows them, obviously, now, um, being Huddersfield managers. Um, yeah. Nicky, Nicky and Danny Cowley um, signed you signed you for, for Concord. Um you, your first year weren't that bad, was it? Um, you, you went right, and got, right, yeah. obviously got promoted um, into Conference South. Um, yeah, I mean, speak about working under working under the Cowley brothers. Do, um, do you did you see back then that they was going to go on and, and, and be successful as they were? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the physio that I was seeing, who was at West Ham when I was younger, I knew him, knew him for years. He was best man at Danny's wedding. So when I was seeing, when I left Bradford um, and I started seeing the physio to try and get back to from injury, obviously I was doing the stuff in the gym, but it got to a stage where introducing myself back into football was a big part. So Ross, the guy at the physio, he said, you know, my, my mate's Danny Cowley, he's the manager at Concord, blah, blah, blah. So I, ended up, I only really went to go and play a few games, to be honest, but I enjoyed it so much. It was kind of like playing with your mates, and I'd never experienced that before. Yeah. You know, it was so serious, and, and you know, obviously it was your career, and it meant a lot to a number, of, you know, a number of people. But when I went and played for Concord, it was like it was maybe 100 people at the most turning up to most games. You know, the boys would have a beer after the game, and it was just a completely different experience for me. Um, and obviously, you know, looking at where Danny is now, in all honesty, it was no surprise to me. No? Um, no, him and... I mean, Nicky was playing at the time. He was centre midfield just in front of me. 
um, the captain as well. Wow. Um, but Danny, Danny and Nicky were both teachers and we play on a Saturday or a Tuesday and Danny would come in with, you know, we talk about the opposition and this is at a level that, you know, there's barely videos at the games. I mean, there is now because a lot of them do it, but, yeah. you know, going, going back to then, it wasn't really a big thing, you know, video analysis and stuff, but Danny would have been up the whole night before after getting in from work at school, analysing the opposition because his, his view, and he, he still does it to this day, was if I can make, if I can improve certain areas of the game by just 1%, then that 1% there, 1% there, and 1% there might be the difference between winning and losing. And that was his attention to detail. Um, and as I say, it's absolutely no surprise that him and Nicky are where they are. And, you know, when they kind of took over at Huddersfield, it's no surprise that they, you know, went on to, to win a string of games and stuff. And, and they've done it at every club they've gone to. Yeah. What's, their, what's their approach to man management like as well? Obviously, you talked about their attention to detail. Yeah. Um, again, probably Danny was, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of playing under some, you know, really, really good managers. And I'll even go back to when I was, you know, around it at West Ham, you know, playing under Gianfranco Zola and stuff like that, who was a, a very good man manager. But I think I think Danny's probably probably the best man manager that I've played under. Um, wow. It was, and again, I you know, I listened to I listened to Soul's podcast as well, and and he hit the nail on the head that he kind of said, tactically, you have to have a knowledge, but the biggest part of being a good manager, in my experience is being able to manage the players that you've got playing for you and, and being able to get the best out of those players. Um, and I just felt every time I played, I wanted, I wanted to run through a brick wall for Dan. Um, and, you know, he, he's not bad tactically either. You know, him and Nick, you know, as I say, their attention to detail is tactically very good. Um, but the best thing is, um, the best thing is, is obviously the way he made you feel and, and yeah. you know, how, yeah, as I say, how he made you feel as a player and you wanted to go that extra mile for him. I think that's why he does. That's why he does so well. I mean, yeah, you like like you said, you you went and kind of played about thirty games, thirty games in that season for Concord, um, winning promotion. Um, obviously, very successful. Um, you then in a, a year, a year, obviously that that summer in twenty in twenty thirteen, you went you went and signed for Dartford. Yeah. Um, what was yeah? What was the reason for for, for leaving Concord? Um, and, and I know Dartford at the time were were in the conference prem, um, yeah. so said so obviously they were a level up. Was it was it a kind of case that you wanted to go and test yourself back more towards the football league? Yeah, I, I think so. And obviously, as you say, it was definitely about that step up. And you know, obviously, I could have stayed at Concord um, after that season. But I mean, this goes to show I was actually earning, and it wasn't about the money. It never was, to be no. to be very honest. But one of my you know, discussions with Parky at Bradford was, you know, I could earn more than this part-time or I could earn almost this part-time. Yeah. And that, you know, it wasn't a, 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 a dig or anything. As I say, it was just, I need to live. Financially, I need to live. So, I mean, when I joined Dartford, I wasn't far short of the contract I was offered at Bradford full-time and I was just around the corner from home. Um, I think when I joined Dartford was the time that I thought I'm going to go and get a part-time job as well, even though okay. I could have prolonged it a bit longer yeah um, and I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at this stage I ended up I was I spent a little bit of time working at BMW in Tunbridge Wells as a salesman um, so that's what I did while I was playing for Dartford but I soon realised that not training every day took, took its toll especially in the conference prem um, and yeah it was more so just because the club was local you know 
good good setup, etc. Um, for for one reason or another, it didn't work out. Um, and as I say, maybe not being as fit as I should have been was was part of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, I, was, I look back, it was a, it was a good club, but I think it was probably the wrong maybe the wrong decision for me at the time. Yeah, I mean, you didn't, on, Jacob. Okay, you only you only made fifteen appearances at Concord. I'm just reading here, and then you moved back to Concord. How did that move come about? Did you approach Concord or did they approach you? Uh, no, so it was more... Um, yeah, so I played 15 times for Dartford. Um, I ended up leaving in just before Christmas, I think it was. Um, and again, that was a time where I was... Quite a dark time for me as well. At, you know, that, I mean, at Dartford, they, when I look back, they had a great bunch of lads and they made you feel very welcome. But for me, I was going through a difficult time. Um, you know, as you say... You imagine playing the kind of level that I'd been at and then maybe realising that I um, you know, might never get back there. Um, yeah. And as I say, it was quite, it was quite a dark time, um, that, that spell. But um, once I'd had the taste at Concord and I enjoyed it in one promotion, obviously the, the year before, that made me realise that you can't kind of, no matter what level you're at, a promotion is a promotion. When you work hard to get there, the elation and the feeling, you know, the group of people we had, I still talk to a lot of them and, we talk back to that day being one of the best days, you know, in, in, in football. Correct if I'm wrong, Matt, did, did you play with Alex Woodard, who's now at, who's now at Peterborough at Concord? Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah good, good powers with Woody. Um, still talk to him now. I spoke to him last week, um, you know, talked to him quite a lot. And he was at Dartford. But then I really got to know him when I was at Concord because we used to, you know, car share and obviously then at Braintree. Um, yeah. yeah, Woody's a great lad, great player. Um, and, uh, yeah, so so the move to Concord basically come about that I just wanted to go back and enjoy my football again. So I spoke to Dan and he said, you know, of course we'll have you back and, and that was that. Yeah, I mean you had you had a few spells um at Chelmsford and Eastley where it, you played a few games but yeah really um it was then back at Concord in in twenty fourteen where yeah. the FA Cup run um was was kind of a real eye-opener to everybody at that at that time. Concord really kind of put themselves on the map for the for the first time, where yeah. um, FA Cup first round proper um, reached against Mansfield Town, um, went up to their place, got got yourself a replay as well, yeah. um, brought it back down, and, and I'm pretty sure you ended up playing that replay in front of nearly three thousand people. Um, yeah. That, that night obviously unfortunately losing 1-0 but yeah was was that kind of an eye-opener that even though it was part-time football um, even though um, Concord were um, a club co- compared to the clubs that you played for a, a small club as such in no disrespect oh, yeah, um, right. was it kind of an eye-opener that wow at, at this level football does mean so so much to, 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 to the fans yeah, definitely. But I think the main thing was, you know, this was this was not people's living. This was people's enjoyment. You know, yeah. as I say, people that we played with, and even from the management and the people who would support the teams. You know, they'd, they'd be away working all day, and then they turn up on in the evening to train and to play on a Saturday just to enjoy it. Um, and that was really a sign for me. Yeah, you know, we had a great bunch of lads, and obviously Danny Cowley was a, a fantastic manager. Um, yeah. But to go up to Mansfield, obviously, you know, that, that was history for the club as well, FA Cup first round. 
Um, and by all accounts, we should have won. We should have beaten um, Mansfield. It was an own goal from from one of our defenders, a, a looping own goal header that um, that sort of gave them a chance. We went one 0 down, but we ended up, um, you know, getting another goal and earning a replay. And again, we played really, really well at home. And yeah. it was very, very unlucky, but you know, as I say, again, some of the memories at Concord. You know, the chairman Anthony Smith was a great guy, and um, you know. J- he kind of brought in all the right people and that was supported obviously by Danny. He brought in the right manager and then Danny brought in the right characters and it was a really, really good side and great team. Um, I think we won the Essex Senior Cup as well. Um, made the playoffs in, in one year. I can't remember which one it was, but yeah, really successful spell at the club. When you mention as well, um, when you get to that level of football, it's more about enjoyment rather than making a living. Was there sort of a noticeable change in, in the environment at each club, if you were to compare them? Um, well, you mean from the professional clubs to the, to the non-league clubs? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. I, I, I very much felt that playing for Concord was like playing with your mates down the park. Um, and, and again, I mean that in no disrespect because <laughs> that, that was the atmosphere that they tried to create. Um, yeah. you know, just pressure off, go and enjoy it. But, that doesn't mean to say that Danny didn't get us fully prepared and fired up and every game we played was a fight uh, because it was and that's how he got us playing. But as I say, you know, singing songs in the change room after wins and stuff like that, it was all, it was very different to what I'd experienced and I did really enjoy it. But there was always that part of me that was missing, you know, playing at the level that I had played at. And, that, and as I say, that's still, there's still times when I feel like that now. As I say, there's not a day goes by I don't think about it. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a change in, in atmosphere and stuff between the full-time teams and part-time teams. Would you say that that was like a turning point almost in your career where you were going from sitting on the sidelines and not really enjoying your time to all of a sudden really seeing like the grassroots, well not grassroots, but the lower levels of football and actually how much it means to people? Was that <laughs> a turning point? Yeah, no, I would. Yeah, I would say that. Um, as I say, there's a lot of, I mean, Playing for club, you know, big clubs like Charlton and you know Gillingham and and, and and stuff like that. There's clearly you're under pressure to perform because it means, as I say, in my in my opinion, I think football is one of the biggest religions in the world. You know, people really do view it. It's their absolute everything, and you know, we used to people be on social media. It's worse now than it was then, but it was still going on. That yes, you know. You're just trying to avoid basically going onto social media if you've had a bad game or, or you know, even if you haven't. But, yeah, the, the, the pressure involved with playing at that level is, is different to anything I've ever experienced. And as I say, I just felt like there wasn't that experience. And I think playing for Conkle was a team known as the underdogs. It, it, we very much felt at every game we were never expected to win. And that's why we did so well. Obviously, Danny and Nicky um, moved on to Braintree. Um, you went with them um, yeah. in the summer uh, I think it was 2015 wasn't it yeah. Um, yeah what was it the case that you were simply just following Nicky because you want uh, Danny and Nicky because you wanted to play for them and, and what were yeah. the ambitions of the football club at the time yeah so I mean obviously I knew that Danny and Nicky were both ambi- very ambitious people and there was always an, a, a part of me that thought I might continue the journey with them and get back to playing yeah. you know full time and there were, you know, points when I was playing at, at Concord and stuff that, you know, that you'd have scouts, like Leighton Orient scouts would speak to Danny about me and other players. Um, so I always thought I could get back there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was working, I was doing exams as an accountant at the time. 
Um, and I was working in, in, in London and I mean, Braintree on a map from where I live is a long, long way away. Um, but I wanted to do it because I wanted to follow Danny and Nick and obviously it was a step up. Um, and I felt, as I say, we could achieve something. And I always thought Braintree is a football club, not a particularly ambitious football club. Um, and obviously when Dan went there, it was like an absolute whirlwind because, you know, we ended up going on and finishing in the highest, you know, club history, the highest position, third in, in the conference yeah. National League was then. And we only just lost out on a playoff final to losing to, to Grimsby in the second leg of the playoff final. Um, wow. It goes to show, we've, you know, I think we were only, we might have been the only, if not there was only two of us, part-time teams in that league. Um, and to go and finish third is just such a fantastic achievement. And again, that's, that's, I'm really proud of my time there um, because, as I said, we had no right to challenge at the top end of that, of that league. Um, you know, very minimal resources. Um, but again, it epitomises you know, the Cowleys and their attitude and work rate. Any stand-up yeah. players? Any stand-up players from that year in, term, in terms of the ones that have maybe brought them and done yeah, very we, well? Yeah, we did. We had, we had a good side. Obviously, Woody was there. So, Woody's yeah. gone on. He's in League One now. He's yeah. a very good player. Um, Simeon Akinola we had, who's now, I think he's at Barnet. Yeah. Uh, but he scored a few goals. Um, Kenny Davis, I think he's at, might be at Sutton now, was our captain. He was technically a very good player. Um, yeah, we had, a, we had a core of good players, but no one was... There, was no, there were no superstars. I didn't feel like there were any superstars in the team. It was all just... You know, again, the culture that, that kept the Cowleys creating that, you know, we all work hard for each other and no, no one person's better than the team. And, and as I say, I think Cowleys take that to where they are now. And there was always a question when they moved up, you know, when you start talking to players who played in the Prem, can you talk to them the same as someone in non-league? But, you know, I think it, they've proven that, that it can be done. Yeah, with Lincoln, very successful. Work ethic and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Would you say you had particular highlights at Braintree? I think the playoffs were massive, massive for us. As I say, we went away in the first leg to Grimsby and we beat them 1-0 at their place. So we came back to ours, you know, with a real, a real shot. We thought we could do it. Um, sadly, it just wasn't, um, it wasn't to be. We, 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 we lost out. But that, that, was a, that was a great, great moment for me and sort of playing in the playoffs for a small team. Yeah, a small team. I don't mean it disrespectfully, but, you know, a club with low, low resources relative to everyone else in the league. Yeah, you signed for York uh, in, in June 2016 on a two-year contract. Um, yeah, what was the, obviously, yeah, I mean, um, was, it, was it a sense of sustainability um, and, and obviously York being, I think they've just, just been relegated for me too at the time, hadn't they? Down, yeah, 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 you're right. Um, so I think, again, for me, it was kind of like there was always that hope that I could go back and, and do it. So the Cowleys got the job at Lincoln. Um, and they had four centre-halves under contract. Um, and I was working at the time, and obviously I was desperate to join them, desperate. Was there an offer? Was, it, was there a chat? Was there a talk? Well, there, there, was a, there was definitely a conversation. You know, as soon as they got the job, they called, they gave me a call, and it was, it was something that I really wanted to happen. But as I said, financially, they had four players under contract, and in reality, I needed to quit my job to start to get fully fit to be at that level again, yeah. if that makes sense. <laughs> And, um, and also, you know, Braintree was, I had a number of other offers from other clubs, York being one of them. 
Um, and I said to them, I'll, I'll hold it off because I want to join you boys. And it got to a stage, it was prolonged, and they kind of said, I can't guarantee, we're trying to get rid of a couple of the centre-halves. We need to get rid of two before we can bring you in. Um, and, and they said, I can't promise you that we can do it. So I wouldn't want to say to you, miss out on another opportunity because yeah. we know we worked hard for it if potentially it might not work out here. Um, so anyway, it got, got quite late in the day and, and York had offered me a two-year deal, just come down, lovely city. And to be honest, you know, even though I'd still had, I'd had several more injuries, you know, in the period we've, we've spoken about, I had several more quite serious injuries, um, but I still managed to sort of be there and about. And I said to my missus, you know, I'm willing to, quit my job and go and give it one more go but this is it now this is my you know this is my last my last attempt and obviously you're, you're being full time I signed a two year deal um, decent money for the level um, and a lovely city I felt it was a, a you know a great team to, to go and do that go and do that too but you know again long story short sadly um, that, that was the end of the road and, and as I said that was it then I needed to I was 27 by the time I finished there and I was advised to knock it on the head. Wow. Um, and obviously at that age, you kind of, I needed yeah, a career. Peak, well, peak at peak your career at that age, aren't you? Arguably, yeah. Arguably yeah. the peak. But, you know, I, the way I was viewing it was that because of the injuries, I knew it wouldn't last forever. No. Um, and I could have gone and joined another, you know, or maybe obviously the advice was to, to, to retire and seek other plans. But I guess at 27, I thought I need a career here. I can't just keep, you know, jumping around from pillar to post. I'm going to have a family, you know, soon. Um, so, as I said, I needed to needed to knuckle down and find a job. Wow, wow. And then, I mean, yeah, like, like you say, um, unfortunately, at the age of twenty um, twenty seven, you you were advised medical advice um, to retire from full time football. Um, you went down to part time to Herne Bay. Um, was it kind of the case that? You need you wanted to stay in football, but you were now looking because I I know now your job's uh, accountancy, isn't it? And um, that's what no, that's I'm doing. I'm doing investments now, so it's yeah. slightly different. But, yeah. yeah. So obviously, was it the case that you you then now needed? I'm going to stick into football, but I now need to think of think about my future. Yeah, I think the Herm Bay thing was. I mean, could could I say it was a mistake? Maybe it was. You know, it was very much. I was working in, you know, I work in London and it's long hours and it's hard work and um, I kind of, maybe I was kidding myself. I kind of thought I do still want to play and I want to have a taste of it, but I think I was, I was chasing something and I didn't know what it was. Um, and as I say, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy now to, you know, I, I might go and play again next season. I'm not sure yet. I don't know how I feel and, and what the situation will be like, but, Full-time was clearly not an option. It was too much. The job was my main focus and it really has been my focus since I left York. Yeah. Um, but as I say... How are you finding it, Matt? How are you finding, how are you finding being in investments and, and obviously it's yeah, a completely it's, different world from being in full-time yeah. football? Yeah, of course. It's very, very different. And as I say, it's taken a long time to get used to it. Um, but as I say, when, you, when your priorities change and your focus changes, yeah. you, know, yeah. you, you kind of make it work. Um, I love what I do. I do really enjoy it. I've worked hard. I've done several exams to get to where I am and I'm currently working towards being chartered, which is another challenge in itself. Um, 
but yeah, you know, it's long hours. It takes a lot of getting used to. Um, very different to football, obviously, but, you know, I'm now working towards, you know, sort of working in, in wealth and investment management. So we work with a number of ex, you know, ex-professional footballers that we manage their wealth. Um, and I guess I kind of view that as keeping my hand in, yeah. hand in there and I'm, you know, sort of starting to build my own book of clients. And, you know, if I can help, I've already started working with, several agents and stuff to try and educate the younger players from an early age. And, you know, if I can, if I can experience football in some capacity doing what I do now, yeah, you know, clearly I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that. And it's, um, yeah. So just, as I say, just probably if I can experience, a, 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 you know, a side to football doing what I do now, then that's great. And, and as I say, I've already started, you know, building my own book of clients. And, and as I say, I've, I've spoken to agents and stuff to just try and educate the younger players because, you know, I, I do feel I'm a, I'm a prime example of someone that always believed that they'd be a professional footballer for a long time. Yeah. You know, arguably I turn 30 in a few months, I should still be playing for another five, maybe six years. Um, oh, yeah. 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 You know, I experienced the hard way that wasn't to be. And as I say, I've spoken to a number of players, you know, already to try and share that story and, and try and help them, wow. um, help them really. So, yeah. I mean, before we finish off, um, I ask you um, recording um, to pick your best six-a-side team. If you were to manage yeah. a six-a-side team with best six players you played with, um, yeah. go on in, Matt. Pick, pick if you, if you have so a six-a-side team. One, you play. Yeah, quite a tough one because, as I say, I've had the um, I've had the honour of playing with some very, very good players, um, yeah. and I'm going to include reserve team games as well. Um, okay. Just purely because, as I say, I train day in day out with with obviously the West Ham first team, um, and I, I can't not include some of some of those players. So to start off with in goal, yeah. I'd go with a guy called Ross Warner, who was the um, number two at Charlton when I was there. Um, me and Ross still talk now; we're very good pals. But if I think of a keeper in a six-a-side game, I think you've got to be up and down, making double saves, triple saves. And he didn't really have too many games in the way at Charlton, but in training, he was, I mean, he was playing in the Huddersfield game that I scored on my debut, but he would make some unbelievable saves and, it, you know, making double saves, triple saves in training. And you think, how the hell did he save that? So as a keeper in a six-side game, I think you've got to be like that. So I'm going with Ross Warner. Um, Defence, I'd probably go Simon Francis, who's yeah. obviously playing in the Premier League. Bournemouth captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. He had a bit of a tough, um, a tough time with the Charlton fans when he was there, but he was technically a very, very good player. Um, and obviously it goes to show, you know, he's, he's played a, a, you know, a, a long run and a big number of games in the Premier League and you don't do that unless you're, uh, you know, unless you're a gifted player. So I'll probably go with Frano, Frano at the back. I've kind of done, um, I've kind of done a, then kind of two midfielders, but would play almost, you know, tracking back as well. And I've gone with, um, Scotty Parker, um, who would need no <laughs> no introduction whatsoever. Um, no, you know, I've got him in there because he's a leader. I've got him in there because of his work rate. Um, obviously, technically gifted as well, but he was like a terrier, breaking play up. You know, making tackles, passing the ball. Um, he's definitely someone that I'd, that I'd have in a six-side team for that reason. Um, another player in terms of flair and trickery was a player called Alessandro Diamanti. Right. Who yeah. Played at played at West Ham as well, and I played with him in pre pre uh, season first team games. And the amount of chops he could put into one 
one tack, one attack was just unbelievable. Um, Cruyff turns, chops, flicks. You know, he, he's a typical six-a-side player. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of flair and ability, he was, he was unbelievable. Um, I'm probably going to go against the rules with my next one um, because I'm going to go for Gianfranco Zola, who's going to sit sort of in the hole. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, now, I never, obviously never played a, a reserve team game with him. He was, the, he was the manager at the time at West Ham, but he would train every day. And you join him with you, yeah? He joined him and I could, he was the best player in training by a mile. And I could guarantee have played, he could have played himself in the Prem and he would have been unbelievable. Wow. Um, no matter what, whatever team he was on in your, in your training was the team that was winning. Um, he was just, just a different class. And if you, if you speak to anyone who's sort of played with him or experienced that, they'll tell you he's just a magician. Um, and as I say, it was made all the better because he was nice, you know, a nice guy and a man manager. Um, one more, so one more, yeah, one more. So I'm going for um, a guy called Matty Godden, who is at Coventry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I played a brief spell with him at Dartford. Yeah. Cool. Matty in, Godden. In yeah. terms of finishing, he was he was he was unbelievable. So I've got him in there for the finishing. Um, you know, he put it on a five pence piece anywhere you name, um, and he's he's obviously. I mean, he's he's gone on. He's done very well with Coventry. Yeah, you probably no shot that he's gone on scored. Court. Yeah. I think it's just over, is it over twenty goals already for Coventry? Something like that. But you know, you yeah. also look at the clip of the goals that he scores, and he scores all different types of goals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've got I've got him quite a blend actually. I would say in that six aside team. But um, yeah, that's probably that's probably yeah, great I, names. Absolutely fantastic names, um, Matt. Yeah, we 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 finish off there then. Um, what a what a podcast it's been. Um, I mean, what, even though it was a, a kind of a very, in, in your eyes and certainly our eyes and, and, and their age that you finished out full-time football, a very short-lived career. But, I mean, we've spent, we've spent well over an hour speaking about your career and um, the, the, the memories, the, uh, certainly from West Ham to Cholton to the non-league memories, um, to the players that you've played with, one hell of a career and one hell of a story um, that you've had. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, certainly the memories that you, the fan bases that you've played under, Jill's, the Chelton, the non league yeah. memories. You, you, I mean, just to, just, just to come and sum up, um, you must, even though it's very short lived, um, you must be very, very proud of, of, of what you've done. Yeah, I am. And as I say, you know, th- thanks firstly for having me on and, and letting me speak. I don't get to speak too much about my career anymore but as I've, got, I've got some really really great memories and um, you know there's, as I say there's not a day goes by still that I don't think about it um, as I say I very much I'm, I'm privileged to do what I do now in a sense that I feel that it's quite elite for, for, for the industry um, but when I sum it all up and I look back you know as you say I'm very proud of, of what I was able to achieve in a short space of time and, and, and as I say there's memories that, that, that I'll, I'll, I'll cherish forever Pleasure having you on, mate. Thank you very much for having me. That's the latest episode for Inside the Changing Room. Um, Keep liking, keep subscribing, keep watching us. We've got plenty of past and present footballers coming onto the channel uh, and you've been watching Inside the Changing Room.